Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Uh, we're going to start in 16, so there you go. So you can't turn to two chapters at once, right? Unless we're on the same page. So start in 16. Uh, we're in a series together called Blessed. And uh, the reason that we are blessed, all of us this morning could say we are blessed, and that's simply because of the grace of God. Let me give you a, a reason why, if you're looking for one. Um, God does not owe us today. He doesn't owe us tomorrow. He doesn't owe us his life. He doesn't, he doesn't owe us anything. There is, we are under no obligation to him. He is both judge and jury. And um, the Bible tells us that all of us are born in sin. And so we're completely at God's mercy in his justice to, to bring that at any moment. God doesn't offer us his grace. But here's the good news is uh, he gives it to us. He gives us opportunity to know him, to draw near to him, to experience life with him and eternity with him in joy as we uh, walk with him. And so because of that, because you're here, we know that we're blessed. In Genesis chapter 16 and 17, it uh, compares for us the struggle of one walking in the flesh versus walking with the Lord. It's a text of scripture of, a, of, a, of an individual living his life, Abraham, who, who lives a life that's blessed by God's grace and he can continue to walk with God's grace, but he struggles with his old nature or his nature in the flesh as he desires to walk with God. He's struggling between uh, his will and God's will, whether it's my will or I will. And so chapter 16 is juxtaposed perfectly against chapter 17, understanding what life looks like when we walk according to our will and what life is like when we walk according to God's will. What we're going to see is 16 has, uh, is covered with brokenness and chapter 17 is filled with joy and laughter. And so this morning, this is how it's going to go. We're going to talk about sin, and, and that's not always fun. Actually, I don't know when it is fun. <laughs> But then we're going to talk about how we discover joy in our relationship with God despite sin. And life for us as people is tempting. And life can tempt us to compromise in God's will. In fact, the story of Genesis chapter 16 starts right after a beautiful passage in, in, in chapter, excuse me, 15, where Abraham shares a story about his, his connection to God, his, his walk with God. And so uh, in chapter 15, Abraham has a, a personal conversation, interaction with the Lord. And so we've seen in Genesis 12, when Abraham's journey begins, he goes through uh, a lot of life experience in just two chapters. Chapter 15, it takes a break, it stops. God intervenes in his life, establishes a covenant with Abraham based on what he has done, nothing to do with what Abraham has done, and Abraham communes with God. Just like Abraham, even though we may give our lives to Jesus, it doesn't mean our lives will go perfect. Truth is, in our lives, even though we may know the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, when you trust in Jesus that the Spirit of God seals you and you are the temple of God. No longer do you have to go to a, a location to worship Him, but you can worship Him wherever you are because His Spirit indwells you. And even though His Spirit indwells us, we still war with our flesh. Romans chapter 7 says, and according to uh, 
the life of Paul. He says, a wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? There is a struggle we face. In Genesis 16, Abraham faces that struggle. In Ephesians 5, the Bible says this to us in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful in the war between your flesh and the spirit. In verse 17, Paul's acknowledging something for the life of the believers. He's saying, um, God has a will for your life because we don't always live it, right? Right? Just because you know Jesus or claim to know Jesus doesn't mean um, you walk with Jesus. Matter of fact, just because you became a, a Christian, if it were easy then and you could live out God's desire in, in your life, Paul would have never said in verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. But the reason he presents the statement in verse 17 is because it is a challenge for us to live it out in our lives. I want to be careful in the way that we present this this morning, though, according to living out God's will. Abraham's going to share about his failures in verse 16 or chapter 16 and his struggles. And then we're going to talk about walking with God. But here's what I don't want our ears to hear. I'll tell you what I want our ears to hear in a minute, but let me tell you what I don't want our ears to hear. I don't want us to hear, I'm bad, and so I need to do good. Okay? The, the answer to living, in the, or living out the flesh and, and defeating the flesh isn't about that's bad and so I need good. I, I don't think the primary thing that God a, is after here this morning is, is I'm bad and so I need to be good. In fact, if you view your walk with God that way, it's going to rob you a lot of joy. And I'll explain all that in just a minute. Now, let me just say now that I've said that, I'm not telling you to go be bad. <laughs> a matter of fact, um, there are ways that God has called us and creating us in his image to glorify him in this world. And sometimes we may clarify that or call that being good, but I want to be very careful in the way that we define good this morning because it has a lot to do with God's will in our lives. Got that? Lock it away in your head for just a minute. If I'm bad, I, it's not about being good. Okay, hold it and we'll get the solution. But life can tempt us to compromise in God's will. And if I asked that in the question, I would say, how well do you do when, when following God's will? Are, are you a, a person of compromise? In Abraham chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 15, the life of Abraham, we see this beautiful story where, where Abraham interacts with God, and it's just one chapter later. We just turn the page, read the next verse, and he's fallen again. It says in, in verse 1, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. <laughs> so after Abraham, he's nuts. So after Abraham had, had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Um, guys, let me just say this real quick. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that, all right? Just because it's a narrative story in the Bible doesn't mean God wants you to do everything that's recorded in the Bible. A narrative story is just a narrative story. It's not a theological belief. Don't do this, okay? But Abraham, like us, faces temptation. He faces compromise. We read a story like this, and we can be quick to, to judge Abraham and the decision that he made. A little more comp, uh, cultural understanding helps us to see that he, 
he, he's living out a cultural influence in, in his life. But I, I don't want to be quick to, to, to judge Abraham because the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 15 and 16, so Hagar bore Abraham a son and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to, to uh, the son and she had born. Now it's, it's wrong what Abraham did, but look at verse 16. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. In Genesis 12, the Bible tells us that when Abraham left from the land of Ur to the land of Canaan on this journey, God gave him a promise. The promise said this, I will give you the land of Canaan and I will will bring you a, a child and through you all nations, all people will be blessed. And he told him that his, his, uh, from his family or from his child, that they'll have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so at 75 years old, Abraham listens to God. He leaves from the beautiful land of Ur where the cradle of civilization is found and he goes into the land of Canaan to live among nomads in tents. And for 10 years, he waits for God to fulfill his promise. What about you? And maybe this isn't your temptation. But how long do you wait? You know, I know how it works within our lives. We maybe see someone beside us who has all these amazing toys and possessions and, and your whole life you're just coveting that better car or that ATV or, or that camper or whatever that you see them having for years. You just think about it. But you know, based on your income, it's, it's, not, it's not for you in the cards, but, but you just got to have it, Right? Or we can do that in, in careers and in achieving careers or uh, possessions or, or money or promotions at work. You know, if I just did this, even though it may be compromising, I can get to where I want to be. And so the, the end for me justifies the means. Maybe it's in relationships or lust. You think about your relationship and you say, you know, my wife's not giving me what I deserve. Like in the case of Abraham, he wanted a, a, a child. And so he, he goes somewhere else outside of what God's plan was. Abraham had reasons for doing what he was doing. He gave in into this temptation of pressure on him through the promise of God. It started off as a godly thing that God, God told Abraham, and Abraham takes the beautiful promise of God and he compromises it as if God needed his help. When we talk about um, temptations and trials, I know we've mentioned this recently in the life of Abraham, but it, uh, a trial for us works like this. A trial is when we're going through a difficult time for God's glory. And a temptation is when we're fighting against something for our own glory. The temptation's about pleasing self. Trials tend to be more about pleasing the Lord. And Abraham, in these moments of temptation... It's not only thinking about God's promises, but perhaps he's thinking about his own needs in life or what he clarifies as a need apart from the Lord. And maybe in these moments, Abraham's embarrassed. You think this guy just left this nice place in Ur to live in tents in Canaan, and he moves into these people groups, and he explains to him the reason this foreigner's living in their land. And 10 years go by, and they're looking at this guy, 75 years old, saying he's going to have a kid, and now he's 85 years old. And every time he goes, they're just pointing and saying, this guy, he is out of his mind. Maybe he just wanted to fit in. Everyone in this culture is having kids, right? 
During the life of Abraham, kids are viewed much more of a blessing than we view them in our own culture today to, to our fault. But uh, people wanted to have children. Uh, families wanted to have children. They, they thought about generations through that and, and passing off their inheritance, the blessing of family, and everything was, was family-based. And, and Abraham, Abraham wanted to have a kid, and he just, he just wanted to fit in. And on top of that, what Abraham did with Hagar was completely culturally okay. In Abraham's culture, if your wife was barren, it was justifiable for the husband to find someone who could help him uh, have future generations. So that way, uh, you'll see as Abraham's been concerned in Genesis 16 and 15, he mentioned this, that, that he was concerned that when he passed away, that one of the servants in his household would inherit the things that God had given him. And so it was culturally okay to practice what Abraham wanted to do. Abraham had his excuses. The same works for us in our temptations. I'm not getting what I want out of this. And so rather than pursue or continue to follow after the Lord, I just want to give in to this area because I have I have needs. We make a a temptation about a must rather than simply following after the Lord. And the results of what Abraham experiences here, it tells us in in, uh, Genesis 16 and verse 5 and 6, even though though everyone in the family, even the servant, uh, agrees to this, this is the result of what happens. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she was conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she she fled from her presence. Even, even though they're agreeing to this is a good thing outside of God's will, what they discover is that walking with God was the best place to be. It, it tells us even though Sarah agreed to it, Sarah gets mad at, at Abraham. And now that Sarah's mad at Abraham, Abraham feels bad for Sarah. And so Abraham says, okay, honey, you want to be mean to people because I upset you. Go ahead, go ahead and be mean to people. And Hagar looks at the moment and she realizes having children is an honorable thing society. So she looks down on Sarah. And I don't know what happens between these ladies, but whatever it is, it's so severe that Hagar would rather risk going into the desert and dying than staying near Sarah. Sin harms us, even if we agree to do it. We give in to personal temptation for gratification rather than standing with the Lord. And Genesis 16, 12 says this, Ishmael then will be a donkey of a wild man. His hand will be against every man. Now, here's a little secret about me. Um, I don't like riding on animals. If they're big and they're big enough to hold me, then they scare me, right? And I look at this as Isaac, or as Ishmael when he's born in Genesis chapter 12, and he's like a wild man of a donkey. I'm thinking, well, how crazy is this guy? In the midst of a situation of compromise, craziness is born. How do we determine when to wait on God and when to move? And Abraham looked at this moment and thought, you know, 
God gave this promise, and uh, I'm glad he gave me this promise, but what he really needs now is he needs me to save the day, right? So since it's been 10 years, and God, I'm, I'm guessing he should have fulfilled that by now, I'm going to go ahead and step in, and I'm going to give God what he, thinks he, what he knows he needs to give me, but apparently is not capable of giving it to me himself, even though he promised this. How do you determine when to wait on God and, and when to move? Maybe if we were to answer based on the life of Abraham in these moments, we'd say this, God does not want you to compromise your faith to accomplish his will. God, I felt really country. Did I say that real country? His will. God, God doesn't want you to compromise your faith to accomplish his will. And in fact, God doesn't even need you to accomplish his will. The end doesn't justify the means. What God is really interested in is yet God will produce results. But what God's interested in is your heart on the journey. What I mean is this, God, God doesn't need you, but he enjoys the pleasure of using you. Because in that, it's what he uses you to draw you to him. God is complete, completely capable of doing everything he wants to do without you ever lifting a finger. Um, there's nothing that you do that impresses God that he couldn't just do for himself. As a church family, this is, this is important for us to think about when I, we put in the bulletin, join a, a, a team. And, and so we, we as religiously thinking people sometimes, this is the way that we approach ministry and serving God. God needs me to accomplish a task. That's what we'll think about. God needs me to do this. And so we, we go to the, the church building on Sunday or what we will call a church. We'll go to church on Sunday and we'll be involved in a ministry. We might sign up for a ministry and we look at it. It's all about accomplishing a task. This is, this is my job and I've got to completed. But do you know, the real thing that God is interested in, the reason we do ministry on church on Sunday is not to accomplish tasks. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's not about accomplishing tasks. Here's what it's about. It's about reaching hearts. We have the ministries that we have on Sunday morning, not because we feel obligated to have to accomplish some tasks like God needs us to do that. We have ministry on Sunday morning because we know that what God desires is to reach hearts. It's about the journey. And so whatever we do here on, on Sunday morning, the, the, the ultimate goal isn't to accomplish the task. The ultimate goal is to reach hearts. But the reason we do a task is to reach hearts. And in the end, as you reach hearts, a task is accomplished. But the primary point is about what God wants to do in us and through us. The end doesn't justify the means because God is the God of, of the means just as much as he is a God of results. And so God wants to work in, in, in us and through us to impact hearts and touch our lives. And so it's not about accomplishing the task, but it's about all of us together encouraging one another to seek the Lord. I think um, theology is important. Matter of fact, it's how we know God. But if we're not careful, we can even te- treat theology that way. Or we go to study about God and we make it an academic exercise. And so we know everything we think we might want to know about God, but we really don't know God. 
I say that with a, with a concern. Let me just say this. I'm not telling you, oh, no, be worried that you've studied so much about God and you don't even know him, so now you're going to stop studying. What I'm saying is keep, keep learning about the Lord and his truth, but realize that the purpose of all of that is to connect you in relationship to him. And so if you're just simply coming to theology or you're just simply serving to, to accomplish a task and you've missed the entire point of the journey, which is to connect to him. How do we know... How do we determine when to wait on God and when to move? Um, God doesn't want you to, uh, to compromise your faith, to accomplish his will, but I would say this is what God wants you to walk in the spirit to accomplish his will. God wants you to walk in the spirit to accomplish his will. In Genesis chapter 17, right after, right after Abraham um, falls and compromises in his faith, it says this, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me, and be blameless. This idea of walk symbolizes a duration of a journey. In this text, God could have used any, any sort of word to illustrate our relationship to him. He could have said crawl. He could have said, he could have said sit. He could have said sprint. He could have said run. But he says walk in this passage, which symbolizes for us a duration of journey. And so he, he says when we walk, do this before him, which means in regards to him, conscious of his presence in your life, walk in step with him. This, this passage gives the idea of in cadence with, with God's step. Learn the rhythm of the way God moves and move with God. Waltz with him if he wants to dance, but just, but just walk with him step for step. And he says the result is that we are blameless. And this doesn't mean perfect. What the Hebrew text in this passage literally means is complete saying to both you and me this morning, the reason that God um, created you isn't, isn't for the goal of accomplishing a task. And get this, it's not, it's not to primarily be good, though good will have a place here in just a moment. God has created you to walk with him in the rhythm of his grace that you find yourself complete in the Lord who has created you for his purpose. Walking with God is not about avoiding sin. Walking with God, rather, is about staying with God. Let me give you the the big difference in this. This is the difference between approaching God religiously and approaching God relationally. It is possible to live good and never be close to God. And God doesn't call us to be good God calls us to be godly. What I I mean is you you can be good and never be close to God, but if you are with God, you will live blameless or or complete. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 and verse uh, 16, he's talking about believers now indwelt by the Spirit of God who put their faith in what Christ has done. The Bible promises that the Spirit indwells you. And so he says this in Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there is no law. And this is how we approach it from a religious standpoint. We'll say to ourselves, you know, God wants me to be good. 
And so I look at this list and I realize I am not joyful. There is no peace. I certainly don't have patience. I'm okay on kindness and I guess on goodness, but faithfulness, gentleness, I, I, I'm just failing in this. So I'm going, I'm going to try harder to do this. <laughs> but if that becomes your goal, you miss the entire point of this passage. Because what Paul is saying here is not that this, there is bad and your job is to do good. What Paul is saying here is there is a spirit and he empowers you to do what God calls you to do in this world. Walk in this passage in the Greek text literally means surrender to the spirit. I, I say walk in the spirit or surrender to the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And look at this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. It doesn't say the fruit of you. It doesn't say the fruit of me. If you want to produce the fruit, you've got to connect to the root. And that's not you. It's a spirit. God calls you to surrender to his life or your life to his life. God wants your heart with him because it's his spirit that empowers you to do what he's called you in this world. You're completely capable of just doing good according to the world's standards, but not doing godly according to God's standards. Because that's by the power of His Spirit. God is about the journey, He's not just in the results. Truth is, in the life of Abraham, He could have made a kid any way that He wanted to, He didn't need Abraham's gift of having kids. All he wanted was Abraham's heart. In surrendering to him in the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit works out what God desires in your life. It's not according to your flesh, but according to his Spirit. You know, we just recently had a a youth retreat, and um, uh, I love... I love youth retreats. I love getting together with our kids. And I think we, had some, we have some great um, leaders that really help out with our youth ministry. And, and they had a wonderful time together. And one of the things they did on uh, the last night that they were at this retreat is they gave the kids opportunity to ask any question they wanted to. And they're going to give answers to the questions the kids have. And, and they asked pretty typical questions for teenagers that they're facing in that time period of, of their lives, right? Um, sex, drugs, rock and roll, tattoos, um, smoking, I don't know, on and on it went, walk with God, how to handle certain emotions in life. And, and a lot of that is, it's good. It's really good to ask those questions because as people, what we want to learn is we want to learn how, how the mind of the Lord is and, and to line ourselves up with, with God, God's mind and how we honor that. And there's, there's a good part in asking those questions. And I'm glad when people ask those questions for those reasons. But can I tell you, Sometimes there's a danger in the motivation behind why we ask those questions. Sometimes we ask questions about drug, sex, rock and roll, whatever, um, just because we want to know where the boundary is in our walk with God. And so our thought is this, how close to the edge can I get without ticking God off? I mean, where is that boundary line to where I can go so that when I, when I make this decision, God's not going to be bad at me, but I, I get to, to, 
to, to live the way that I want. So show me, show me where that line is, and, and I want to live that life. And, and our picture of God becomes like this when we, when we begin to think that way. Our, our picture of God is, okay, there's this guy who's made a bunch of rules, and, and it's to rob me of joy, and I, I just want to live my life not making him mad. And so I'll come to church on Sunday because I'm, I feel obligated to do that, and, and that God should be happy with that, and I hope he's not mad so I, I can get money myself and walk on the boundary. I just want to say, if that, if that is your picture of God, it is so far and messed up from what God wants in your life. So the point of what Galatians is saying within our lives, when the Spirit of God is controlling our lives, we don't even care where the boundaries are. The pursuit of our heart is to connect with the one who brings us love and joy and peace and patience. And we may learn about those boundaries as it relates to the will of God, but in my heart of hearts, the the sole desire of my life is to connect me to him for which I was created to do. So to walk in this world, even asking those questions, God, where's the boundary so I can get close to the line, is to live a life void of the joy that God desires for you. The point isn't about good. The point is about God. You can live a good life and never be connected to God, but you can connect to God and be blameless. Be complete. To to know the reason that he has created you. If we could go back for a moment in Abraham's life when he he makes this decision, right before he makes this decision, I mean, what what is it we could say to him? And what what could we say to ourselves when we're subjecting ourselves to falling short from what God has called us to in this world? Maybe we should say, Abraham, just be patient. God is working out his will in you as you walk with him. Or how about this? Abraham, be bold. Be bold in your faith. You know, I know in your society you've got this social pressure of, of what is pulling you against the norm of what God's called you to because of the, the cultural standing, but just, just be bold. I mean, if you think in our history today, just people that have have impacted the world around us, it it was individuals that stood against the grain, that stood bold in their faith, that stood for truth and love. You think Martin Luther, who who led the Reformation, Martin Luther King Jr., who who led the Civil Rights Movement, or or Abraham Lincoln, who set the the slaves free, completely justifiable in those moments to sit and say, you know, I, I I stand for the Lord, and I'm just comfortable where I'm at. Let's just stay right here. But to be bold in the Spirit. And the truth is, as people... We're blessed as we walk in God's will. Genesis 17, Abraham discovers the blessings of just walking with God. It says in verse one, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Genesis 16, Abraham's in sin. Genesis 17, Abraham's on his knees before the Lord. 
You need to stop and think about the beauty of that for just a minute. Because when we read a passage about being bad or sinful and God calling us to be godly, even after saying that, this, is, this could be the tendency in our lives, thinking, man, I've just been striving to be good, not, not really next to God. What am I doing? And you start, you start blaming yourself. You start feeling bad. You start, you start just isolating yourself from God. I, I know it happens. It happens to all of us. When, when you do something wrong, you just start beating up on yourself, right? Like, I'm not worthy of God, and I don't deserve to be near God, and, and I, I shouldn't even come before God. How, how could I even think about this? That could have been Abraham in Genesis 16, and now Abraham in Genesis 17. It tells us he comes before God, and God just embraces him. I mean, we of all people should know what we need to do. What God called us to is his grace. In Revelation chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser of brethren. I mean, Satan is is the king of, of taking your past and rubbing it in your face to live in that and to feel that way. But Jesus is the king who comes to life, offers his redemption on your behalf. He's not focused on your past. He's looking to the future that you have in him. He doesn't care about where you've been. He's looking at where he's called you to. In him. And the truth, or the wonder of that, is that while you yourself could even beat yourself up over the things you've done, God places incredible worth on your life because He's created you in His image and He's died for your sins. The king of kings has given his own life for you. We're blessed as we walk with God. And this is what Abraham finds in his walk. He calls him, I am God Almighty, which literally means El Shaddai. This is where Amy Grant gets her song. Everyone sing it when you go home from church. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. If you don't know it, it's okay. It's an Amy Grant song. But it's Abraham, God Almighty. He, he say, okay, Lord, I've messed up. And you, you are Lord. And he goes on and says, I'm going to walk before you. I'm going to, I'm going to live my life in light of you. And then he, he bows down before God. He says, I'm surrendering in verse 3. I'm on my face, surrendering in worship to you. And this is what God does. He changes Abraham's identity from Abram to Abraham, which means a father of nations. And this is what happens. When you come before the, the Lord in his spirit for his presence and relationship, which you've been created to do in God, God transforms your identity in him because he is the one that gives you your worth. It's not based on what you've done. It's it's based on everything that he has done on your behalf. And in that, you have a hope and a future. Abraham. Truth is, maybe some of us this morning, the reason that we're just feeling so short and feeling so worthless and feeling like God and we're undeserving of the Lord is that we haven't just... It's not taking the time to see the identity that God has placed on us. It's everything to do with his love over you. And that compels our hearts to relationally connect to a God who loves us so much. We worship. And Abraham says this in Genesis 17. He goes from I, um, my will, God, to I will. 
talking about the Lord, God says this. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after your throne, their generations from everlasting. I, in verse eight, will give to you and to your descendants and after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan from an everlasting possession. I will be their God. God. God is saying to Abraham, now that you've learned trusting in you is not what works, why don't you just let me, I will do this from, from your will to now my will, Abraham. God allows Abraham to rest in the comfort of him. This is what else Abraham gets. He gets intimacy with God. This is a crazy way to explain it, but let me, let me read this. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. After that, every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And that shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay. So in the back of our room, we have a surgical center set up for none. That's not, that's, that's true. That's not true. <laughs> We're not, we don't get circumcised. You don't have to get circumcised because this verse says this. We're outside of the law. And so what, what God is saying to Abraham in this passage of scripture, he's saying, Abraham, this circumcision that I want you to have, I want it to work as a physical reminder to you of the intimacy you have with me in the most private, secluded uh, section of your life, the most vulnerable place that you have, remembering my covenant, the seed that I'm going to present to you. I want you to know I am Lord of all of it. Abraham has intimacy with God. Sarah is blessed. Abraham's family is blessed. It says, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Not only does God change Abraham's name and identity, God changes Sarah's name and, and her identity. And the word Sarah literally means princess. At 90 years old, God still sees Sarah as a princess. Guys, let me just tell you, your walk with Jesus should so encourage your heart in connecting to him that regardless of dumb decisions that Sarah makes or regardless of what your wife does, she is still a princess in God's eyes and your princess that he's given to you. Last is this. God said, no. Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Now I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Maybe you think your temptation will make you better off. But the truth is there's no better way than to walk close to Jesus. Ishmael meant wild donkey man. He's crazy. But Isaac, his name means laughter. And now coming back to Jesus, coming back to the Lord and walking with him, there's joy. God brought a home of brokenness back to laughter. The story of Ishmael and Isaac isn't to say to us that God only cares about one, but what it's rather saying with us is that God brings joy when we walk with him. I'm thinking about this passage of scripture. I was reminded this past week um, as I was traveling out of state, I ran into a guy and he gave me $1,000 for our church. <laughs> and then he said, he said to me, um, I want to give you this um, and I'm going to tell you why, for, why I'm giving it to your church, but I, I, I want you to do something with it. But when I tell you this story, I don't want you to punch me or get mad at me. I'm thinking, oh, great. I was going to come out of this mouth. So I'm like, okay, I'll put my hands behind my back and you just, you just tell me the story, man. Why are you, why are you giving me $1,000? And, and this guy um, knew my mom and he shared my life story with my mother. 
He said like this, um, my mom had me when she was 16. My mom was um, living Genesis 16 at 16. I mean, you know the, the statistics when, when a young mom has a child, the ch- child can grow up um, in poverty. It's difficult without a dad being around. The tendency of, of just bad things happening um, in, in that type of environment increases in, in the young single mom. And it's not to say God's glory can't work out. In fact, I'll share how it does in just a moment. This guy said, your mom had you when she was 16. And she could have taken a compromising road and made her future a little easier by getting rid of you as a child. In America today, we, we abort one million children every year. And your mom could have done that. But she took the hard road. She not only had me, but she went to college and she got a degree and she figured out how to provide for me as a child growing up in poverty. My mom faced Genesis 16, but when she was pregnant with me, she came to Genesis 17. And this is what she did. She realized her circumstance, and as a mark before the Lord, she chose to name me Nathaniel. My name literally means a gift from God. In the midst of hardship, she just wanted the Lord close. It's not to say anything great about me because I had nothing to do with naming me. (laughs) But the man who gave me $1,000 said this, your story is gold and you need to go share that with people in similar situations. That's what I want your church to do. Go figure out how to share that with people. And he looked at me and said this, because of what your mom did, how many people in your life do you think you're going to impact in a positive way because of her choice? And that's to say to us this morning, you may be in Genesis 16, but when you take a moment, to just pause where you are and realize that what God has called you to isn't to zap you on the rear end because you're walking the boundary or, or he isn't calling you just to stop being bad and start being good, but to connect him, to connect yourself to him, to let you come before him in his grace, to realize God has given his, his worth on you by coming and dying for your sin. When you surrender your life to that and connect your heart to that, God can transform any of those moments. God takes wild and crazy and the compromising of our culture and he gives us joy and laughter in him. Ephesians 5.15 Be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is this morning. He wants your heart.